this is Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, making your world better. What does it take today to be an effective nonprofit leader? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles that nonprofit leaders face today? Particularly in Park City, what does it take to be a leader in a community where there's over 80 nonprofits? How do we, as nonprofit leaders, effectively fundraise in an economy that's not necessarily solid? All those reasons combined have led me to start this podcast so that we as a nonprofit community and as a larger community can learn from each other as to the insights and wisdom that each one of these leaders that we interview can share. Everything from how to be a better fundraiser, how to be a better vision caster, how to become a better recruiter. So enjoy these podcasts as we ask them very specific questions from their own community as to how they're making their world better. Today we have in the studio Cassandra Verbruggen, and she is uh, the executive director of Spy Hop Productions in Salt Lake City. It's a fantastic organization that deals with all types of media, uh, podcast, video, uh, filmmaking, etc. And what she talks about in this interview today was really three of the top challenges that every nonprofit face. I think you'll be really intrigued by her answer. And then in addition to that, there's this buzzword going around called collective impact. And there's a lot of confusion even to what that really means. And so we spend some time talking about collective impact. What does that mean for uh, someone who's not a full-time nonprofit director or uh, staff member? And also though, for those who are in the nonprofit world, what does it mean to be involved in collective impact? Is that something we should pursue? And what are the results of collective impact? I think you'll really enjoy today's podcast. Today in the studio is Cassandra Verbruggen, the executive director of Spy Hop Production right here in Salt Lake City. Cassandra, it's great to have you in the studio. <laughs> Thank you. And it's really, really good to have another executive director here that we get to interview today. So tell us about Spy Hop Productions. How long have you been there and what does it do? What's its purpose mm -hmm. and mission? Well, we like to say that Spy Hop is a, it's a youth media organization. It's essentially a youth development organization that utilizes the digital arts as a tool of empowerment and education for young people. So we provide mostly out-of-school time programming, um, ages 7 to 20, mostly teenagers during the school year, and then younger youth during the summertime, um, but in programs ranging from filmmaking to digital design, animation, gaming, audio engineering, radio production, um, Why, the music, whole gamut, the whole gamut like. of media arts. Fantastic. Um, programming. Yeah. How long has it been going on again? Uh, so we were founded in 99. 99 so yeah, okay. we're in our 16th year. Fabulous. Um, yeah, yeah. Serve about uh, just about 2,000 young people a year up and down the Wasatch Front. We have a media art center um, in downtown on the west side of downtown in Salt Lake, and then we also work in partnership with other schools and youth service organizations, um, you know, throughout the valley. But we actually even run a summer program down in Moab too. So. Fantastic. That's yeah. great. Well, I remember going to a Sundance film in Football We Trust, mm -hmm. and that was a production that kind of came out of, emerged out of Spy Hop Productions, correct? Or well, the, well yeah, the, so the filmmaker is, a, was, is an alumni. Got it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, and then she, you know, she partnered with her her co um, uh, filmmaker um, director was uh, was also um, had done some teaching for us in the past as well. Got so, yeah. I knew there's a yeah. connection yeah. there as well, yeah. which is yeah. and a great film. What yeah, a great it was film! Really good. And actually, I think it was you know the a film by the first Tongan filmmaker to enter Sundance. So that's really cool. That's really cool. Wow. Good, okay. So as an executive director, obviously you work with nonprofits and you're familiar with Forces for Good, which uh, Leslie Crutchfield, of course, was here last year speaking at the UNA conference. Um, and so 
the couple of things they mentioned was in their book, they talk about six different ingredients or, or uh, characteristics of nonprofits that do work well. And I want to look at that and see what your take is and kind of what your perspective was on these. So number one, they found that um, the most successful nonprofits, number one, they advocated for government policies. Number two, they tapped into the power of free markets. Number three, they nurtured nonprofit networks. And number four, they built movements of evangelists. And how they describe evangelists were individual volunteers and supporters who advanced their cause. And then to be effective at influencing their external systems, uh, they said two other traits were that these nonprofits had a shared leadership internal model. So structurally, they were much more of a shared leadership model rather than a top down. Mm -hmm. And then six, they adapted quickly to changing conditions. So I want to kind of look at some of those and see what your take is. But first, um, in your opinion, uh, with nonprofits here in Utah, how are they seeking to change and influence external systems right now? Like, where are you seeing that? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think in Utah right now, what we're seeing and where we're sort of a part of this is this whole focus on STEM education. I mean, it's a huge push, mm -hmm. you know, for for the state and uh, nonprofit organizations. Many of us are that are that are providing programming um, in the out of school time environment um, are part of the Utah After School Network. Um, also, you know, Utah State Office of Ed and and many um, or nonprofit organizations that are serving young people um, are directly involved in um, you know in sort of shaping the way what we kind of call informal STEM learning is looking like and how do we, you know, ensure that young people have the, the education and adequate, you know, preparation in order to go into mm -hmm. our growing digital um, economy and, and, you know, science and, and fields and technology. So. so for just the uninitiated, in case they've not heard of that term STEM, explain that right, real quick so for that. Yeah, science, technology. You use it all the time, I right? Know, well, <laughs> well, although we, you know, one of the things that we're advocating for, so STEM stands for um, science, technology, engineering, and math. And actually, one of the things that we advocate for is to include the arts. Right, got it. Mm -hmm. So um, it's it's really important that uh, you know we that we ensure we understand you know the role that creativity has in um, you know in these fields. And you know any person that you talk to that has gone into any one of those fields will will many of them will tell you that they when they were young um, sort of their passion was art and art you know and, and it varied I mean the art mm -hmm. form varied it could have been anything from visual arts to even performing arts or to media arts so a lot of people that go into you know the fields of technology um, you know what got them started what got them engaged what got them psyched about it was um, their access to you know the digital arts and digital mm -hmm. media so and that's really what what we do at SpyHop is we help young people sort of you meet them where they are and um, and and that is you know where what they love and their passion which is I mean even sitting here talking to you on this is exactly, sort of exactly right it's a part of like it it's applied it. and it gives them an understanding yeah. that they have you know they that these are potential fields that they mm -hmm. can go into um, in the future but I also just we advocate for that you know yeah. at SpyHop and we are a part of that conversation you know nonprofits need to have a seat at the table yeah. um, and we need to ensure we're the experts in the field and we need to ensure that our the you know leaders and and you know folks that are affecting you know policy um, ha, you know take us seriously and are, mm -hmm. are willing to li to listen to us well said and um, for the listeners uh, we interviewed Chris Bray she's been one of our guests and she's the of course the CEO of the UNA you also have a role in the UNA talk about that a little bit and then we'll get back to another question so what's your role currently with the Utah Nonprofit well, Association yeah currently I'm the chair so mm -hmm. I will be in the chair position for a year I was the vice chair last year and then um, next year I'm the 
what do we call it? What, what what's it called the former chair i'm not even sure so uh but <laughs> emeritus have, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i've been on the board for two years now okay. and uh yeah so i definitely you know i feel that um una has done a, an, an amazing job of um sort of being a collective voice elevating our voice ensuring that you know we are the you know a pillar of our society and of our structure and our and and it's you know it's it's imperative that nonprofits have the the resources and the support that they need in order to do their jobs as well as as we do and UNA does that for us that's excellent well and then getting back to uh, that there is the term you've, I'm sure, heard of, but maybe to the listeners, they've not heard about this phrase, but it's called collective impact. It's become very mm -hmm. kind of almost a fad topic, right? Mm -hmm. And it was introduced by John Kania and Mark Kramer mm -hmm. back in 2011. But this idea is that we as nonprofit leaders need to connect with other leaders, government leaders, uh, education leaders, business leaders. So what have you seen both in your role at the UNA and also at SpyHop? How, is that something that is viable? Does that really work? Do you believe that collective impact is kind of the way to go? Or what do you think about that specifically? issue well um, I do I mean collective impact impact I think we are beginning to sort of use that term a little bit more you know theoretically uh, it's you know but there, there but there definitely is a structured you know process that is collective impact um, that is I think it's tested it's being used it's being funded around the country in a, in a lot of um, uh, you know, states and um, and actually national efforts are underway. Um, but absolutely, I mean, we fill at SpyHop. We fill a really important niche. Um, but you could pull out sort of media arts and digital media, and you can plop in uh, like the Bicycle Collective, or you could pop in say you know another um, art like bad dog arts, or you could mm -hmm. you know any any number of um, efforts to engage and develop young people to ensure their success in the future. We all are doing that. I mean, Girl Scouts of Utah actually sure. just had a meeting mm -hmm. with Janet Frazier okay. um, and the county because the county is um, embarking on a collective impact effort around um, homeless services and what's, oh, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. and what's happening. Um, Frazier Nelson is heading that sure, up. Right, yeah, exactly. yeah. And so, uh, so Janet and I sat down, um, you know, with Frazier and with Nicole Dunn, and you know, we what we wanted to make sure was that what what kind of effort was there underway to ensure the, the sort of emerging generation, the next generation, is being is is being you know supported in a way that they can be successful, and so that in itself is collective impact. It is right, um, but mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. It's like we all serve a important niche, but together collectively, we're able to great have a greater impact on the lives of young people that that we're serving um and how so, so yeah I, I completely agree with you and then say someone who's maybe not in a nonprofit role and is listening to the podcast so a banker uh mm -hmm. or someone in the business field what would you say to them like how why is their role important number one and how would they get plugged in like they they like the concept but how best can they get connected in that kind of arena to do collective impact Boy, you know, I, businesses are really an interesting um, partner. I mean, we all need businesses to, to partner with in order to be successful. And so those are folks who um, can bring their, you know, their leadership, their, um, their, their sort of um, positions where, you know, in their, within their network, their professional network to support 
um, the you know the efforts of a, a nonprofit organization. So you know we all have boards of directors, for example. Um, sure. We all have opportunities for volunteering. We all have um, important. We have we have efforts. We have advocacy efforts that require um, the support of a broader network than we what we can reach out to. And so way I like to think of it is bringing. You know, it's important to have the business community and to have a professional network that is supporting and you know um, reinforcing and helping to further the cause of any nonprofit, you know, in the community. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, totally mission aligned. Like many people say, oh, you guys, do you have a lot of filmmakers on your board or whatever? Mm -hmm. I bet that's, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, it's sort of, and, and we actually don't, you know, but, um, you know, instead I've got, I've got a pediatrician on my board. I've got the, the, um, for example, the oh, retired director of the state division of juvenile justice on our board. I've got a lawyer on our board. I've got, Interesting, you know, diverse so you, board. Mm -hmm. you're right. And that's what all of us need. And so those, I look at all those as professional networks. And if you think of us as one big ecological system, i.e. collective impact, that collectively all those networks um, are connected and tied to one another in order to advance the causes, in order to be able to, you know, do what we do better in the, you know, in the community. That's a great point. Now, switching gears a little bit to the nonprofit leader, uh, him or herself, what do we need to do? There's probably people out there that feel very skeptical, like, ah, it's another fad. It's just one more thing I have to get on board with. But why do you think it's so imperative that nonprofits get on board with the collective impact concept? I know there's different ways to maybe drill down of what that looks like in your nonprofit, but why philosophically do you think people ought to get on board with that and how do they do that? Well, I mean, I you know, I think it depends on capacity. I mean, I think that's what's what's also really tricky. There are the the bulk of nonprofits. I mean, in the country, um, are you know are, small, are right? very mm -hmm. small organizations, and mm -hmm. many people don't have the capacity to to do that kind of work. Um, but you can get on board with Collective Impact, not necessarily be a partner, but be like a coalition member. You can be somebody uh, that just yeah. sort of signs on because you believe in the work and you know the work is, versus you could be all the way up into, as a nonprofit organization, could be a backbone organization of a Collective Impact effort and, and actually be the organization that's running the effort. Like United and, Way, maybe. Yeah, like United example. Way, mm -hmm. exactly. Yep, mm -hmm. just like that. Um, but yes, we all need to be a part of this because at the end of the day, I mean, we collectively we have a, a greater voice and we'll have greater impact than we do individually. Um, and you know, any nonprofit leader that you speak with, they say, well, you know, if you ask them why they do what they do, I mean, they're doing what they do in order to make this a better place that we all live in, in order to be able to provide the, the resources and the support that people need. Um, and, you know, in order to be, you know, a community or a society that we all want to live in. And so it, we're not, we don't do that alone. There's no way we can do that by ourselves. So, you know, we've got to, you know, team up with others. That's why, you know, I think one of the forces for good, I mean, this idea of having um, a network um, and right. how do you advocate for them, how do you use your networks mm -hmm. um, to advance your cause um, is, is really, you know, essential. There's no way that we can do mm -hmm. what we do alone. And so I just would encourage all nonprofits to, you know, get connected to other people, whether they're trying to do exactly what you're trying to do, it doesn't necessarily mean, but, but get connected to those people that have, that they can share resources and ideas and have a collective voice, because especially if you don't have the capacity, you can't, you're not a united way, Great you know, point. you can't do mm -hmm. this alone. 
um, join forces with other folks that can, you know, that can do this with you. That's a great segue into going back to Crutchfield's and McLeod Grant's uh, six like key things of successful nonprofits. You're right. That's one of the big things is building that nonprofit network. Um, they also talk about evangelism, and it's an interesting term, right? It's not meant to be in a religious context, but this idea that you get those individual volunteers and supporters who really become your cheerleaders. Um, so talk about that, going back to effective nonprofits. Mm-hmm. Obviously, networking's a big deal. Talk about evangelists. How do you find them? Like, what do you look for in an evangelist that could, you know, get spy hop on on the map more. Um, what do you do to recruit yeah. evangelists? Well, we kind of, you know, I think we we don't necessarily think of them as evangelists. Um, it is an interesting term that they use, but mm-hmm. I think of them as ambassadors. You know, okay. I think of yeah. them as, you know, and these are these are folks that, um, you know, whether they're serving on your board or not, whether they are volunteering in your organization um, or not, but these are people that. Um, that understand who you are and what you're trying to do and believe strongly in the work that you're doing and are willing to um, you know, to carry that torch for you, whatever that look, whatever that may look like. It may and be how a do you funder. Find them? It may yeah, right. Be, and then how do you find them? <laughs> <laughs> That's what people want, right? I, I know, want people I like want that. All those people. Whatever you call um, them, ambassadors or whatever. Well, you know, it is. I mean, it's definitely. I mean, in the, in the age of social media, it's it's a yeah. little bit easier. We have yeah. things like LinkedIn, where you know, if you if you really want to, you know, um, try to figure out if you want to can get on a board, I'll, you can you can easily find those organizations, um, you know, on LinkedIn, but also. So any kind of a um, uh, there's there's sort of uh, groups within universities. So if you know if obviously here up at the university, they've got they've got a pretty strong network of um, trying to trying to um, nurture sort of that next generation of evangelists or ambassadors, point, right? you know, and getting mm-hmm. them to serve on boards. Um, you know, certainly uh, the Utah Nonprofits Association, for example, yeah. is mm-hmm. you know um, is also extremely important. I mean, if if you know, people are looking to serve on a board or they're looking for board members. I mean, I would encourage them to get in touch with UNA. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, how do you find them? I mean, they, I think if you can't find anybody, then there's, that should tell you something as well. But about your organization or about you, maybe yeah, or about role. maybe your mission, or trying to like think about your messaging and how you're, mm-hmm. you know, what is it that you're, you know, you're trying to accomplish and make sure that, you know, you're meeting a critical need, um, and or you've got a message that is one that's powerful enough to, you know, engage people and excite them, and and they, that they want to become evangelists and you know ambassadors, you know, for your organization. Um, but we all struggle. I mean, we all struggle yeah, with trying it's to a find. Yeah, it's it, yeah. a challenge. It definitely is a challenge. It's not the easiest thing. Um, but yes, if we all could do this, you know, very well, we would all be, I think, um, in a better position than maybe we are currently. Mm-hmm. You know, it is something that we all struggle with. But well, well said. And I think about, and I'm going to ask you too. Then, when you think of the biggest challenges facing Utah's nonprofit sector, is it recruitment? Is it funding? Is it the fighting the silo effect kind of? What do you feel like are maybe the top three things in your mind that you've either seen in your own life that you've gone through in your role or as UNA board chairman? What are the biggest challenges that you see on a regular basis? Well, I think if, if you were to ask, if you were to line up a bunch of nonprofit leaders and you were to ask them to pick you know, the top three, the number one would probably be funding. Yeah. But what is that? Like, I think we have to stop and ask, us, ask ourselves, really, what are we talking about there? So what we're talking about is 
um, ensuring that we all have the resources we need to be able to do our job. And those resources can come in a number of different shapes and sizes and means. I mean, it's not necessarily just write me a check so I can go do what I want to do, but it's also, you know, um, advocating about, you know, making sure that, um, you know, the leaders, our, our political leaders, our government officials know what's happening, you know, and are tied in and tuned in to the community to ensure that the decisions that they're making, especially around funding, um, are, you know, going to really resonate with the needs of the community, for example. Um, but yeah, I mean, funding is definitely really the tough. number one. But I also mm -hmm. think that, you know, your, your question about operating in a silo, I think sometimes what happens is um, we, the, the competition thing factor just, just sort of is always a real, you know, challenge. We're like, oh, we're in competition, we're in competition, we're in competition. When in fact, you know, if we mm -hmm. turned that around and said, well, how are we going to all play our key role, and this is again getting back to the collective impact, and I think one of the reasons why collective impact efforts have been really successful um, is so that we, we're, we're actually potentially not so much in silos, but we're working collaboratively for a common cause that by working collaboratively we're able to leverage one another's resources to be able to do what we, what we do better together than we can do it apart. And so well I think said. the other thing that a lot of leaders will say is networking. So, and and funding and, and networking, like how do I connect? How do I do this? Like you're interviewing me right now. Right. It's uh -huh. a way for us to share our resources and our ideas exactly. and talk about you know, what are some of the leadership challenges that we're facing and how can we overcome those challenges and how can we do that that together? I think that's probably the second thing that anyone will ever tell you in the nonprofit world is, mm -hmm. I mean, it's kind of, it's it's tricky. Sometimes we feel like, we feel like we're alone. We feel like, you know, we're, we're in, it's very lonely in the work that we're doing. And so I think a lot of us want to feel that we have um, somebody to, to talk to and lean on and mm -hmm. share ideas with. And I'm part of a, a group of um, female executive directors, for example, that meets monthly and we- Excellent. We is all that get, through the UNA or is that just you private? You know, it's not through the UNA. Mm -hmm. We just, we started, there was a group of us that started at breakfast and then it just kind of grew. And, you Excellent. know, we just meet monthly and, you know, go have drinks and, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, we're like talk to each other share and share stories, ideas. Yeah, it's a safe and environment like, hey, to is so-and-so still at this foundation? Or do you know so-and-so? And I mean, and it's just it's so a way been for really us. Effective. Yeah, and it's mm -hmm. you know it's it it it's that kind of thing. So, but yes, UNA, you know, in terms of everything from networking to professional development to you know fundraising and help in that regard, I think covers all those areas. Covers all those areas, mm -hmm. and those are the really the top three that you're going to hear from any okay. you know, I think ED or you know nonprofit executive. Cassandra's been great. Thank you so much for your insights. You've got a lot of experience, obviously, and really appreciate you taking time. And we'll just have to get you back on the show to talk more. Cool. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you doing this. Absolutely. This Thanks for your time. Okay. You got it. Thank you.